What is verbal plenary preservation? A presentation of God Questions Ministries. Verbal plenary preservation is an argument from the discipline of study referred to as textual criticism, which is the study of what an ancient copy of an original manuscript says, and from there determining what the author meant. Ultimately, biblical textual criticism seeks to determine what the original divinely inspired autographs actually said. To answer the question, which Bible translation is closest to the original, we must consider the texts from which the translation was rendered. Verbal plenary preservation is an argument promoted by some, usually from the King James Version only, advocates, in support of the view that the Textus Receptus is the only New Testament text that is both divinely inspired and divinely preserved. Verbal plenary preservation, if true, would require generation after generation of handwritten copies to be produced without error of any kind from the original autographs in the first century, producing the later manuscripts known as the majority text from which the Textus Receptus was created. In doing so, verbal plenary preservation proponents incorrectly link the doctrine of inerrancy with inspiration and providential preservation. Their conclusion is that the Textus Receptus and the majority text from which the Textus Receptus came are not only faithful, inerrant, identical replicas of the original autographs, but that all other New Testament manuscripts from any location, language, or time period are not inspired of God and are therefore unworthy of use. The underlying problem with the doctrine of verbal plenary preservation is its basis in the false presupposition that God's inspiration of Scripture at a particular point in human history also requires His divine preservation of each and every jot and tittle ever written down by anyone who ever sought to do the work of a scribe. Further, that the majority text not only fits this description, but must be the one preserved by the number of extant manuscripts, the majority rules, and is publicly accessible, which they say is evidence of its providential preservation. This idea, however, runs counter to the Bible's own testimony, historical evidence, what constitutes a true majority, and the force of plain reason. The Textus Receptus is a compilation or translation by Erasmus from manuscripts dating mostly from A.D. 900 to A.D. 1100. These manuscripts are referred to as the Majority Text, also referred to as the Byzantine Text. The name Majority, however, is a misnomer. Erasmus could have used manuscripts from numerous geographic locations to avoid any drifting in textual renderings inherent to a specific geography, people group, or scribal tradition. He also could have consulted manuscripts from varying time periods to identify any loss of scribal accuracy in copies over multiple generations, or considered the available Latin manuscripts, which outnumbered the Greek two to one. Instead, he made use of none of these variables, and used a very narrow group of texts. Majority of what, when, and where? As is usually the case with historical documents, the older something is, the fewer examples tend to survive. At the same time, older copies are generally believed to be more accurate renditions where variations exist. The thinking is that a fifth-generation copy, written 400 years after the original autograph, is likely to be far more accurate than a twelfth-generation copy written 1,400 years after the original. Textus Receptus Majority Text Advocates would have us believe the exact opposite is true. Yet the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are second-century copies predating the majority text by hundreds of years, 
substantiate the accuracy of earlier non-majority texts. The fact is that the majority text is only a selection of Greek texts from a particular area of the world during a particular time period in only one of the many languages that the New Testament had been preserved in. We have no evidence for Erasmus's justification for his choosing to use certain manuscripts while disregarding others. Additionally, Erasmus did not use texts from a variety of locations or times. As a result, the texts he used cannot, in any real sense, be considered a majority. Erasmus may have used a narrow cross section of texts to minimize the variant renderings, but even in narrowing his textual sources, no consensus or majority emerged. More recent studies have found there to be six to ten variant renderings of each verse within the texts he used. Also, there are nearly two thousand places where Erasmus's Textus Receptus differs from all the majority text, and numerous renderings in the Textus Receptus have never been found in any Greek manuscript of any time period. Recently, fifty-two variants have been found within the space of just two verses within the majority text. In such cases. How are majority text advocates to determine what constitutes a majority within the text? As a result, any level of certainty regarding the accuracy of renderings of the original text into the Textus Receptus is logically and mathematically impossible. Even worse is the inherent view that majority equals certainty of inspiration. So, even if the majority text were the only manuscript in the world, thousands of verses in the Textus Receptus not only lack a majority. But lack even a single duplicate for credibility, let alone any degree of certainty. Not only is such certainty mathematically impossible, but it puts God's divinely inspired revelation at the mercy of man's willingness to recognize any and all emergent majority renderings among dozens to choose from, thus placing God in need of human omniscience to preserve textual and doctrinal purity. Among what would amount to millions of combinations of renderings of the thousands of verses in the New Testament, each of them with dozens of variations from verse to verse, word to word, in all the manuscripts that make up the majority text, Erasmus would indeed have to be inspired by God to get even half of the New Testament right. Clearly, God would not subject His message to mankind to such a flawed process, with such flawed results, producing only one inspired copy. Even if we concede that God might have done so, when we look at the physical evidence of Erasmus's own work, we see the flawed results that cannot be attributed to God. We find that in a hasty rush to publication, Erasmus made hundreds of translational mistakes in his first and subsequent publications. Several editions of his Textus Receptus were published as he discovered more and more mistakes after each printing. Additionally, there were hundreds of typographical and mechanical mistakes that were made. So again, the Textus Receptus majority text advocate cannot say that the majority text was preserved without error and is credible based on its majority. All errors aside, they still have to determine which Textus Receptus publication was the inspired one, and for theological consistency, how it constitutes a majority among the other Textus Receptus versions. Historical evidence: All ancient writings, both secular and religious. Indicate the Byzantine text that makes up the majority text was non-existent in at least the first three centuries after Christ. Early manuscripts like the Codex Sinaiticus, by far the earliest complete New Testament text ever discovered, the Alexandrian text, early Latin manuscripts, and those of the Dead Sea Scrolls 
all predate the majority text and support the renderings of modern translations. Also, the non-majority text manuscripts contain the entire New Testament, while the group of manuscripts making up the majority text lacks certain portions of the New Testament altogether. Yet, Textus Receptus, majority text advocates, claim that the Textus Receptus and majority text is the only manuscript providentially preserved by God. All things being equal, the older a copy is, the more likely it is to resemble the original. Yet the verbal plenary preservation proponents would have us believe the opposite. Who was inspired? Textus Receptus advocates generally believe that the majority text was divinely inspired and preserved, lending credibility to the Textus Receptus. However, the majority text did not contain the entire New Testament, because those sections did not survive the passing of time. So, in some places, Erasmus was forced to back-translate his own Greek text from existing Latin manuscripts, not part of the majority text, that were themselves translations from other Greek manuscripts. In other places, the majority texts had so many variants of a given verse or wordage that Erasmus could not determine a consensus of which rendering to use, so he made up his own. Proponents of verbal plenary preservation, if they recognize this fact, are then forced to conclude either that the Textus Receptus has not been divinely preserved, as they define it, or that God's inspiration of Scripture continued for another 1,500 years after Christ's death, placing Erasmus in the category of inspired biblical authors with Peter, Paul, and John. The first publication of the Textus Receptus was, arguably, the most publicly accessible, yet contained the most errors. Versions were published in 1516, 1519, 1522, 1527, and 1535. In point of fact, the actual edition that became the Textus Receptus as we know it was Robert Estienne's third version of Erasmus's fourth edition and wasn't printed until 1550. Biblical Testimony and Public Access We see in 2 Kings chapter 22 a time when God had sovereignly preserved only one copy of the Old Testament. Additionally, we see throughout the Bible that God works through the remnant, and the majority is almost universally and consistently in the wrong. Most Textus Receptus and majority text advocates argue the virtue of majority rule as providing public accessibility, and see this as evidence of God's providential preservation. Textus Receptus advocates cannot make the same argument of divine preservation evidenced by majority rule, which in turn is supposedly demonstrated by public accessibility for the New Testament. The primary reason is that the Greek-only manuscripts that make up the majority text were not accessible to non-Greek-speaking individuals, nor were they accessible to the vast majority of Greek-speaking Christians outside the geography from which the majority text came. Those without majority text access throughout every age of Christian history, vastly outnumber those Greek-speaking Christians who did have access. Furthermore, because of human efforts to physically preserve the manuscripts, the majority text has only been publicly accessible in any general sense since the early 1980s. Biblical and Historical Evidence Few Old Testament scholars would claim that there are any extant Hebrew manuscripts without error. It is well known by Old Testament scholars that all extant Old Testament manuscripts, approximately 10,000 of them, have been verified to have errors in them, most of them believed to be scribal errors. These errors amount to far less than 1% of the text and have no doctrinal significance, 
usually spelling errors of names. In addition to errors, they have thousands of variant renderings of passages, verses, phrases, or words. Ironically, because of these scribal traditions requiring the destruction or burial of any scroll that was discovered to contain even a single error in it, those manuscripts that have been discovered are of a far higher quality than even the very best manuscripts from the majority text. Yet they too are not perfect and have variations from one manuscript to another. Therefore, the mere existence of the imperfect manuscripts seems to disprove verbal plenary preservation. So, if inspiration equals inerrancy and divine preservation, then either one God was careless in his preservation of the Old Testament, or he was incapable of preserving it exactly as it was. Two, he had no interest in preserving it, and the preservation of Scripture has only been through the power, participation, and interest of mankind. Or three. God preserved the New Testament using verbal plenary preservation, but did not do so for the Old Testament, which constitutes roughly 80% of the Bible. Clearly, none of these conclusions is accurate or reasonable. The force of plain reason. Can any informed verbal plenary preservation advocate reasonably claim that the majority text represents God's best efforts to provide an inerrant, divinely inspired, providentially preserved collection of His holy scriptures? When it is easily demonstrable that every single extant manuscript in the majority text not only has errors but is incomplete, another biblical consideration is the Hebrew Old Testament Masoretic text created by scribes in Jerusalem, versus the later Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, which was translated in Egypt. In the time of Jesus, he and the apostles most often quoted directly from the foreign-produced and less prevalent. Septuagint, rather than the Masoretic text. If the view of verbal plenary preservation were accurate, then presumably the older surviving texts would also have been divinely preserved, making the majority text possible and yet completely inconsequential. The majority text would then be seen as variants from the earlier texts and would be considered errant versions and living proof that verbal plenary preservation is false. So proponents of verbal plenary preservation are forced to conclude that verbal plenary preservation applies only to the majority text or textus receptus, with absolutely no historical, biblical, or logical reason for ascribing inspiration and the necessity of preservation to the majority text alone. Nor can they, with any level of certainty, support any of Erasmus's unique renderings of the text. Or support what appears to be a necessary presupposition of divine inspiration to Erasmus, fifteen hundred years after John ended the book of Revelation. Ironically, the early church had no doctrine of preservation. In fact, no doctrine of preservation in any form was ever stated in a creed until the seventeenth century. This is significant because the doctrine was apparently non-existent during the creation of the earliest manuscripts predating the majority text. During the period of the majority text, and even well beyond the creation of the Textus Receptus by Erasmus, the simplest, most reasonable conclusion regarding verbal plenary preservation is this: God inspired the original autographs and has sovereignly protected His word through the preservation of thousands of manuscripts with thousands of slight variations, none of which is doctrinally significant, and when taken as a whole. Neither negate his message and doctrines, nor his participation in a form of preservation totally inconsistent with verbal plenary preservation, which may include the majority text, but not exclusively so.
and in doing so, God ensured the purity and preservation of his message through thousands of surviving manuscripts spread over thousands of years and miles. These manuscripts, when taken as a whole, show God's superintending care through use of imperfect man who would benefit from the actual message far more than the physical words. This has been a presentation of God Questions Ministries, www.godquestions.org.